Good morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, I am Pastor Ralph's wife, Susie, and I have the privilege of speaking this morning. Pastor Ralph has been, uh, since the first of the year, speaking about, it's all about Jesus. And a couple of months ago, I started a series with, it's all about the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to be continuing with my teaching, and every six to eight weeks, we'll fill in for Pastor Ralph, and we'll learn more and more about the Holy Spirit, and who is he? Who is this Holy Spirit? What we learned in the last lesson was that Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit a lot. Jesus said over and over again that the Holy Spirit is the helper. That the Holy Spirit wasn't supposed to just be with you, but the Holy Spirit is supposed to dwell inside of you. That the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit will help you remember everything Jesus says to you. The Holy Spirit will help you remember Bible. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth which helps us live free from deception and that the Holy Spirit will tell you things to come. Simply said, the Holy Spirit helps in every single area of your life. And Jesus called him the helper. Jesus, who knew the Holy Spirit better than any human had ever known him before. But this morning, I want to focus on a specific scripture concerning the Holy Spirit, a scripture spoken to us by Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 16. I know we have the, I call it the overhead. (laughs) I don't know what else to call that thing back there. I know we have that. But I love it when you bring your Bibles Um, I like to hear pages turning, Um, at least have your phone out looking at your Bible. John chapter 16, starting in verse 8. If you found it or you're ready, say amen. John 16, 8 through 11. And when he has come, now remember, this is Jesus speaking, and he's saying when he, the Holy Spirit, The helper has come. The Holy Spirit, or he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Let's go ahead and stand for a moment. Pray over this word, this scripture. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that you have spoken to my heart and that you're giving me an open door uh, to be able to speak to your people what's on your heart concerning the Holy Spirit. I just give myself to you this morning in a brand new way, Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way. Amen. Please greet somebody in the name of the Lord. And guys, let's go ahead and start the countdown up here. Let's go ahead and get ready to sit down. 
the sound booth guys told me we somehow lost our countdown, so we'll just do it manually. Guys, can you put that scripture back up, John 16, 8 through 11? And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerned. No, go to the scripture. Is that, is that all there is on that one? Oh, it keeps, I see, it keeps flowing through. Go to the first part where you had it. I'm sorry. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And when I read this, I thought, what a weird negative scripture. <laughs> and a lot of people translate this verse in a very negative way. Many of them will tell you that this verse means the Holy Spirit is going to convict you and find you guilty of sin. The Holy Spirit is going to convict and find you guilty because you are unworthy. And that the Holy Spirit is going to convict and find you guilty and you will be judged. So the message a lot of people are speaking into this verse is... You are terrible, God is mad at you, and he's out to get you. And that is so far from the truth of what Jesus was saying about the Holy Spirit. If you really study out this verse and you look at the original Greek, you will hear what Jesus is saying, and it's wonderful, and it's positive, and it's freeing. When we look back at this, I want you to notice one verse, one, I'm sorry, one word. It says convict. Well, we naturally go to a certain place with this. And when he, the Holy Spirit, the helper comes, he will convict the world of three things. Let's go to the next slide, guys. Convict. This is not to convict someone and announce that they are guilty. It is not criminal persecution. But this Greek word means to convince and to persuade people that certain things are true. So three things that the Holy Spirit, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and he will convince the world, he will persuade the world of three things. And the very first thing that he convinces and persuades the world is concerning sin. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit comes to convince and persuade you that sin is ruling in your life. And can I tell you, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. He persuades you by opening your eyes to the fact that you are living as a slave to darkness. And the Holy Spirit begins to convince you that there is a path to freedom. And that path, that way, has a name, and his name is Jesus. The Holy Spirit will convince and persuade the world that they need a savior. That's what that means. Have you ever prayed for somebody because you want them to come to know the Lord and you're like, God, I don't even know how to pray. Release the Holy Spirit over them because that's his job description is to convince and persuade them that they need a savior. 
The second thing that the Holy Spirit will convince and persuade the world about is concerning righteousness. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit to convince and persuade you that it is possible for you to have a right relationship with God the Father. That you can come before him with confidence and that you will always be received, you will always be welcomed by a loving God who wants to embrace you. That's the second thing that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of. And then the third thing, the Holy Spirit will convince and persuade the world concerning judgment. And this is probably the most misunderstood portion of the scripture. Listen as I reread this portion of scripture. It says, and convicted concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So who is judged? Who's the ruler of the world that he's talking about? Do you know? Satan. Not you. Not you. The Holy Spirit comes to persuade and convince you that Satan has been judged. After sin came into the world, the ruler of this realm, this worldly atmosphere, was Satan. But Satan was judged 2,000 years ago through Jesus' blood on the cross. And Jesus walked away completely victorious. He was victorious over death. He was victorious over hell. And he was victorious over the grave. The Holy Spirit convinces us of this truth that Satan has been judged. And here's the final thing, that he has no authority over you. Pastor Ralph was, was sharing, and, and I thought it was so appropriate. There is no name that is above the name of Jesus. So whatever Satan in the world tries to throw at you, Jesus' name is higher than any of that. So the Holy Spirit, the helper, was sent to make us aware that we're lost in need of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to lead us to Jesus the Holy Spirit comes to persuade us that we can be in a right relationship with God the Father because of Jesus' sacrifice. And finally, to fill us with the conviction to persuade and convince us that Satan is a defeated enemy who no longer has any authority over us. Wow, that's good teaching. That's really good teaching. But you know what? I want you to hear the reality of the scripture because it's one thing for me to stand up here and take a scripture and search out the Greek meaning and try to teach you all. And yet the reality of it, the reality of it doesn't quite get into your hearts and your mind. So we're going to do three TED Talks this morning. The first one is going to be Sarah Lowe. Sarah, go ahead and come up. Sarah's going to talk to you about the first time or the time when she was convinced and persuaded that Satan no longer had authority over her life.
Hi, I'm Sarah. <laughs> um, so I guess I would like to talk about um, if I could change the title a little bit and have some freedom to do that. From the moment you realize the enemy has no authority over you to the moments, because um, that's just tends to be more <laughs> what happens in my life. Uh, I, will, I will say theologically and fundamentally, I do know he has no authority over my life, and I've known this since I went to Bible college many years ago, but um, that's just not what really happens is I tend to forget sometimes, and uh, there's not usually just one moment where, oh, finally this is it and this is how it stays, but rather it's there's many moments where I go, oh, yeah, that's right, I know that. Um, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say I might continue to have moments like this where the day gets the best of me or whatever, and I need to be reminded again. Because, um, you know, when I look back on my life, I see moments, I see instances where I forget, and then I am, like, reminded, and then I'm good for a while, and then I go around with my life, and I forget again, and then I remember, and I'm like, oh, yeah. And I really, um, you know, it's because the battle for my mind is a real one, and the battle for your mind is a real one, too. And I do hope one day to be so firmly entrenched um, in the reality of this that I never have to be reminded again, and I never have to go, oh, yeah, again. Um, but this is what it looks like for me when I remember or when I have that, that like, mind light bulb going off moment. Um, I'm usually having a bad day. I, you know, something is either happening that I can't control, and it's usually something in, in my life or the lives of those around me, and I feel really helpless, and I feel like I'm unable to really do anything about it. Um, and I've just, a lot of times in those moments, I just feel despair, and I feel sorrow, and I just, I just feel really helpless. And here's the thing. If I let myself stay in that mindset, nothing will ever change. Um, so that's when I go to prayer. And when I go into prayer, that's where things can change, and I find my mind gets set free a lot of times. And uh, you see, when I go to prayer, it's, it's one of the first things I do is no matter what's on my mind, whatever is weighing me down, I always try to see what God's perspective is, is on it. Um, I never want to pray out of my own perspective, um, especially if I'm overwhelmed and, you know, despairing of all, you know, humanity. I'm like, this is awful. Like, why would, you know, it's really hard to pray gracefully out of that. <laughs> so I always try to ask for God's perspective. Because um, like I said, my own perspective is often muddled and it's often weighed down with my own emotions to the point I can't see things clearly nor fairly. And it's often at this time that the light bulb goes off. And I go, oh, yeah, that's right. This despair I'm feeling, this hopelessness is not from God. And it's, it's not really from me, but it's, it's, it's really from this, the enemy. And um, that's just not going to float. Like, I just almost get really mad. And I remember that, that at that moment, like, it's in that moment, I, I remember that I have authority given to me by God, to declare and pray fiercely on behalf of myself and others. And that's usually when I get mad, because I, I just get so ticked off when I get deceived, and when something, I you know, it's like, oh, someone's been messing with me, and I just get so mad. And um, it's a righteously, like, righteous madness, I believe, anger, because it's like, it, it, it drives me into some real prayerfully specific warfare. 
And um, that's when I, I do a lot of my best praying is when I'm, I'm kind of like righteously up in arms and I, and I kind of take on that. And I just like almost take back the authority. And I know I might make this sound super easy, but here's the reality of it. Um, it's a battlefield. And the enemy is sneaky. Um, he can't win in a fight face-to-face uh, because he just doesn't have the, the strength um, when compared to a fully equipped Christian who has the backing of the Holy Spirit. Um, so he leans heavily upon deceit because that's really his only chance. And it's usually when he, he sees you guys, like we're weak and we're emotional and we're overwhelmed and tired. And I know this from firsthand experience because some of you know, but the last year of my life has been the hardest year for me. Um, and I know I preached back in August, um, I think when Pastor Ralph and Susie were gone and they were brave enough to let me preach one Sunday. And I preached about some previous hardships I've had. Um, but I can say hands down this last fall was the, the hardest of them all and put the previous ones to shame. Um, some of you were walking with me through that. And I think you could see how beaten down and um, tired and overwhelmed I was. And I was constantly fighting against feelings of failure and hopelessness um, and just feeling like I wasn't good enough and that nothing would ever really amount. And it was just a struggle. It was like, a, it was just a, a whole bunch of struggling. <laughs> and, um, but you know what? It was a journey and God has been so faithful and he was with me through it all. And I'm stronger now than I was before, but I still have those low moments and I still find myself battling hopelessness once in a while, loneliness and despair, especially if I'm really exhausted and tired and things are going on, I just get caught up in, and I just find myself really battling these things. But I'm finding more and more, I've gotten to the point where I'm tired of being a helpless victim, and it feels like I'm stuck in what is a rip current. And so basically I'm saying, and I've started to say, and I'm saying today, enough. My God is big, my enemy's small. And so I've gotten to the point where I just have to say enough. And I say, I rebuke my hopelessness and I claim hopefulness. And I reject my sense of inadequacy and I declare I am more than I have, I have even begun to realize. Um, that's what it looks like when you start to take authority back. The enemy cannot make me feel small when I feel those whispers, those feelings anymore. I will literally, and I know some of you guys don't like this word, I will literally have to say sometimes, shut up, and I will have to get angry. And I will say enough, because sometimes it takes getting mad to put the enemy in his place. And maybe I will have to say that all day long, but I will say them until it's over, and I will say them until it's true. And I have done this, and there have been days, especially in the last year, where I just get so fed up with these feelings and feeling like I'm a helpless victim, and I know I'm not. And so I get to the point of being so mad, I have to I literally say, I'm not with people when I say this, because that would just look crazy. But I would just say, shut up. And I would say, enough. And I would say, you need to stop that, Sarah. And I know I'm talking to myself, and I'm saying it out loud. But I also know at the end of the day, it's not really me I'm talking to. <laughs> it's the enemy. And I'm mad. And I'm putting him in his place, in a way. See, because, like I said, the enemy is all about deceit. Because it's as if he knows he can't win when it comes to a battle of straight-out might. Especially when you know the truth. He's sneaky. But once we set, shed light on his subterfuge, the shackles slip off. And we realize what freedom has been there all along. We have the ability, you have the ability and authority to take back what is stolen from you. 
Because the spirit, the same spirit that was in Jesus, the same spirit we're talking about today, (laughs) is in you, is in me. And the Holy Spirit equips us. The Holy Spirit gives us truth. The Holy Spirit sheds light on this stuff. It's, it's like, see these lies you've been believing. They're not as strong as you really think. Their hold on you is weak because that's how the enemy plays his game. But he has no authority over you. He has no authority over me. And some of you might get it today and it might stick with you for the rest of your life. And you never have to be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but some of you might be like me where you are overwhelmed and you're tired and those thoughts come back, those feelings come back. And you literally have to maybe say, shut up and get angry and put him in his place, and remember, he has no authority over you. Lori? I remember the first time I saw him, he was sitting in the back row of my class on the first day of school, And somehow I knew immediately that he was not very happy about it. I knew he was skeptical. I knew he was perhaps even hostile. I don't think his arms were folded, but somehow I could see that they were on the inside. And I felt intimidated by him. I've been teaching high school English for 30 years, and I'd like to think I'm not intimidated by students very often, but I was intimidated by him. And he was messing with my thing. Here's my thing. Not a lot of high school teachers do this, but I start on the very first day of school, and I say to 160 students, the thing I want you to know about me today is that I'm on your side, and I intend to love you. Now that's a little bit of a strange thing to say to 160 strangers. And I'm used to some of them looking at each other like, what's going on? And I'm used to some of them looking at me like, at last, she's on my side? I'm used to a range of emotions, but I don't usually see mocking and hostility, but I knew that was in him. Now, most days as the year went on, he was pretty benign. I could actually ignore him a lot of days, but there were those times when it was flagrant, where I would say something, and he'd do this big dramatic, or he'd look at the boy next to him and laugh out loud at me. And it was hard. It was hard to be what I think I'm supposed to be. It was hard to say, Holy Spirit, I'm supposed to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I was not perfect. I was not. But I know that I just kept trying to be that Miss Roberts who had said to him, I intend to love you. I'm not sure he ever believed it. I can tell you on the last day of school, he left me this note. Although we have polar opposite personalities and views on the world, I think you're a wonderful teacher. 
and an even better person. Now, I am nowhere near God, and I am nowhere near perfect, and I was not perfect with this child, but here's what I believe. I believe because I know a God who treats me and sees me as his favorite, that I was able much of the time to somehow treat this young man as if he were my favorite. Susie asked me to talk about when I was persuaded that I was righteous. And I thought, well, I don't know when that was. When I was six years old, I showed up at Pine Acres Youth Camp. Go, Pine Acres Youth Camp. Woohoo! I showed up at Pine Acres Youth Camp, and my cousin Di was there from Kellogg, and she was my best friend. And we got to camp, and she said to me, hey, guess what? I got saved. And I said, well, what is that? And she said, well, in her five-year-old vernacular, I believe on Jesus, and I know he died for me, and he rose from the dead, and he's my savior. And I said, well, duh. Who doesn't believe that? I don't know if Di remembers that, but I have remembered it because I can tell you, as a six-year-old raised in this church and raised in this house, it actually didn't know that there were people who did not believe that. I literally did not know. I somehow was so amenable, so susceptible, so believing in the truth of who Christ was and his role in my life that I can't remember a time when I didn't believe that I am righteous. Please understand I don't believe I'm perfect, but I do believe that I'm righteous because of who Jesus is and what he's done for me. My friend Bob Goff wrote a book called Everybody Always. I encourage you to read it. It's just out this year. And Bob Goff in Everybody Always says, we are all tied for first in God's sight. If you haven't figured that out yet, I want you to take my word for it. We are all tied for first, not because of anything you've done or ever could do. We are all tied for first. About six years ago, toward the end of a school year, a girl raised her hand in my high school English class and she said, Miss Roberts, I heard about you before I was in your class and I heard that you play favorites with the choir kids. And I said, and I, and I thought, oh, well, I do love choir. I am a choir groupie. I go to every choir concert. And she said, but I found out the truth. You play favorites with everybody. Please hear me today, you guys. I am not a perfect teacher. If, I could, if you could see a list on the wall of all the moments when I fail, I could just drown in the list of the moments I have failed. But I do believe that Jesus that my God and that Holy Spirit equips me so that most kids see that they're all my favorites. And that's only because I know I am righteous through Jesus.
go ahead and convince and persuaded that she needed a savior. I can still remember the feel of the white sheets with the little yellow flowers on my bed. They were soft and they were familiar. And so was that night. I had become familiar with the stench of alcohol. I had become familiar with the pulsating drugs through my body. I had become familiar with stumbling up the stairs in the dark in my parents' home. And I had become familiar with the sting of my boyfriend's fist across my face. And with all that was familiar that night, I suddenly became aware that reality was seeping into my mind. And I couldn't understand how it was happening because I never drank and drugged to just get high. I always drank and drugged so that I would pass out, so that I would disappear. And I had done that this night. And yet, on that night, there was an alertness calling to the very deepest part of me. The room began to spin, and for some reason, I thought if I would put my hand over the side of the bed and touch the floor, it would stop spinning. I can remember doing that. And I laid there broken and desperate and frustrated that the usual unconsciousness was eluding me. Because if I stayed conscious, I knew <laughs> I would have to face what my life had become and what I had become. My reality began to speak to me, and I spoke the reality out loud. I'm going to die. I'm either going to die from the alcohol and the drugs, or he's going to kill me. I'm going to die. And then through the haze of the alcohol and the drug and the pain came a word, a word that I had not sincerely said in seven years. Jesus. Jesus, I will do anything to get out of this darkness. That was it. Jesus, I will do anything to get out of this darkness. And then my eyes closed and I finally slept. But God did not. And God moved heaven and earth 
after allowing the Holy Spirit to persuade me that I needed a Savior, he began to move heaven and earth on my behalf. That was in November of 1973 when I became fully persuaded beyond a shadow of a doubt that I needed a Savior. And Jesus proved himself to be faithful and true to me and to be enough. And miracles happened that saved my life. Now, like Sarah said, what's interesting is whether it's with the authority over Satan or whether it's feeling worthy and righteous enough to go into God's presence, even with salvation, I find that there are seasons where you need to find out all over again. You need to be persuaded all over again. He is my Savior. I need a Savior. Several years after Ralph and I were married, we were sitting in a doctor's office, not in the exam room, but in the doctor's office. We had gone through many tests and had the final tests where Ralph had a biopsy done. And the doctor says these words that forever changed the script of our life. You will never have children. Ralph and I both begin to cry. And for some reason, our tears release this harshness in the doctor. There are lots of people that don't have children. There are worse things than not having kids. And then he ushers us out of his office and leaves us there as we stumble out of the building and into the car, into our grief, into our, this, how can this be happening? And it was at that moment that I was persuaded beyond a shadow of doubt that I needed a savior. And Jesus proved himself to be faithful and true, even though there never were any babies naturally or through adoption. It just never happened. The doors never opened. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit proved himself to be true and faithful and that he was enough. And miracles happened that have set me free. I'm sitting at our dining room table in Kellogg, and I'm trying to do the bills, and I throw the pen and say, this is impossible. We were so far into debt, and the money that was coming in wasn't even going to touch the bills that we owed. And I felt overwhelmed and panicked, and this weight was on me. And I cried out that one word, Jesus. And though it was hard work and we followed biblical principles, Jesus was able to take us to a place where we were completely out of debt. It should have taken us seven years and within three years we were at two and a half, I think. We were out of debt because Jesus performed miracles in our life because we needed a Savior and we discovered that he was more than able. Probably the worst part are the negative voices in my own head. 
Voices that tell me that I am inadequate, that I am inept. And this one really gets me, that I am a great disappointment. That I am a disappointment to my husband. That I am a disappointment to my family and friends. That I am a disappointment to you, my church. But most of all, that I'm a disappointment to my God. And then like David, I have to strengthen myself in the Lord. And I am convinced still at this age when those voices come that I need a Savior and that I am totally dependent on him. And when I say that into the atmosphere, the Holy Spirit convinces me I need a Savior all over again. And Jesus does miracles and sets my mind free. I have too many stories to repeat, too many miracles to chronicle, but I want you to hear me closely. The moment I was born, I believe that Jesus was pursuing me. And in that pursuit, he totally captured my heart. He has not just been enough. He's been more than enough. Lori, go ahead and come up. You might think that our three stories are unique, but they aren't. See, from the moment that you were born, I want you to believe this and know this. The moment you were born, Jesus was pursuing you. In fact, he was relentlessly pursuing you. And if right now you're feeling your heart beat a little faster, it's because the Holy Spirit is actually in this room. And his intent is not just to be in this room. His intent is to dwell inside of you and convince you that you need a Savior, that you are worthy, and that you have authority over the enemy. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit right now is persuading you to see that you're living way beneath your privileges. You're living as a slave to something when you can be living as a free man or woman. I want everyone to close their eyes and I want everyone to repeat after me. Jesus, I am persuaded that I need you to save me. Forgive me for trying to be my own boss. I give my life to you. I will do anything to get out of this darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if... You, this morning, accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're constantly dealing with unworthy thoughts, that you can't even come into his presence without feeling yourself just kind of rolling up into a ball. The Holy Spirit wants to persuade you this morning that it's only because of the blood of Jesus 
and his sacrifice that you can have an intimate relationship with God the Father. You can't do anything to make God love you more. But here's the kicker. You can't do anything to make him love you less. Can you believe that? His love is unconditional. He wants you to be able to come into his presence with confidence that you're going to be loved and accepted. Now, some of you might be sitting here this morning saying, but Susie, you have no idea how I have messed up. I don't know if you've heard of King David in the Bible before. We romanticized who he was. But David actually had his friend warrior murdered so that he could steal his wife Bathsheba and have commit adultery with her. And even though there were consequences to his sin, do you know what? God wouldn't leave him alone. God relentlessly pursued David when he deserved it the least. He pursued David's heart because he knew if he could get David and his heart into his presence, David would become whole. So even if you've committed murder, even if you've committed adultery, even if you've stolen God is relentlessly pursuing you this morning. And then finally, if you have lived a life of constantly running from the enemy, we used to hear in the old days, the enemy beat me up all week long. Remember hearing people talk like that? Well, that ends today. The Holy Spirit wants to persuade you that the enemy isn't, it's not is going to be defeated. It says was defeated by Jesus Christ. Convincing you that there is no name that is higher than the name of Jesus. God's word tells us that Jesus has all authority over all the works of the enemy. And all means all. And he gives you that same authority. Let's go ahead and stand. I know we have a lot of people out of town, but David, if we have the prayer team come forward, some of the prayer teams stand on this side and some on this side, and then we'll leave the altar open. As we sing this song, If you prayed that prayer to accept Jesus for the very first time and would like to come forward and have one of these people pray for you, please be brave enough to take that step. We want to connect with you. But also, if you have been fighting a spirit where you just feel unworthy, God wants to show you how relentlessly he's pursuing you and you can come up and have prayer for that. 
Or if you feel like you've given the enemy too much authority and you're ready to take it back, come forward and have prayer for that. Either these people will pray for you or you can stand up here and it's just between you and Jesus. Lori, let's go ahead and sing. God, you're so good. Go ahead and come forward if you need prayer. God, you're so good. You're so good, Lord. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. Let's sing that again. God, you're so God, you're so these to stay up here and pray and the prayer team will stay up here a little longer if you want to come forward you still can but let me just pray and bless the rest of you holy spirit oh i thank you for persuading us and convincing us that we need a savior i thank you for not only being in this room but wanting to dwell within each and every one of us father i just ask in Jesus' name, that there'll be a new release of the Holy Spirit in this house and over individuals and over families. Bless them. Bless them. Persuade and convince them, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You may be dismissed. <laughs>